0: Hey, uh, before we jump into the message this morning, I want to talk just for a minute about generosity. And and here's why. We put this sermon... Uh, series of church shopping at the beginning of the year uh, on purpose because we as a church want to make sure, are we doing what God wants us to do? And so we're examining what's the church all about? What is Jesus' design for the church? And so we put that at the beginning of the year because it's the time of year where a lot of us make adjustments to life. And so we as a church want to make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. And for those of you that give to River Ridge Church and express generosity towards River Ridge Church, I want to say thank you because because of your generosity, we're able to do the things that God is leading us and prompting us to do. We're able to reach our community and reach the world through missions. We are able to have worship here on a Sunday morning that engages us because of your generosity. We're able to be a church that disciples and cares for one another and helps one another grow spiritually because of your generosity. I want to say thank you for that. And in the same way that we as a church are saying, what do we want to be about and what is God calling us to do at the beginning of the year? A lot of folks make kind of New Year's resolutions or adjustments or refocus or kind of rethink about life at the beginning of the year. And I would encourage you this morning as you think about generosity to ask yourself the question is, what does God want us to do in terms of being financially generous to River Ridge and to other places as well? And at the beginning of the year, to establish that, to evaluate how did last year go, what do we want to do, what did we do, not do, and then for this year to make those adjustments. And one of the things that Stacy and I do every year is we go on a budget date and we establish how much does God want us to give, and then we set up our online giving so that we have that in place ahead of time so it always, it's kind of an automatic thing. And so I just encourage you to think about that as you think about this new year and what life is going to look like for you. So we are in week four of this series titled Church Shopping. And each week I've started with the same verse. I'm going to start with the same verse again because it's really what draws this series together. Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That the church was Jesus' idea. And so what we want to make sure that we're doing as a church body is that we're following the principles and examples and and things that Jesus established when he established the church. And so I came across a really kind of an interesting quote this week, uh, and it says this. It's real simple, but it's this. It says this. It says, be the church that you are looking for. Be the church that you're looking for. So if you're looking for something in a church then live those values out. Live those things out in your own life. If you're looking for a church that's welcoming, then be welcoming. If you're looking for a church that cares for the poor, then care for the poor. If you're looking for a church that, and then fill in the blank, then fully participate and be about that as a church. And so the first week we talked about this. The title was A Mission That Challenges Me. And here's what we talked about. We talked about the fact that God sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus sends us into the world. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, meaning his original 12 disciples, and then by extension with what else he says in this passage, is Jesus is sending us, you and I, into the world with the same mission, the same gospel that Jesus came to, that salvation can be found through Christ, and so that's the mission that we have, you know. And if you've been around River Ridge very long, you realize that we don't have a master marketing plan for River Ridge Church. You know, we don't send out bulk flyers, we don't do radio ads, we don't do TV commercial, we don't do you know huge print ads in the newspaper, we don't do anything of that nature, because what we do, we feel like the way that God has called us uniquely as River Ridge Church, is that we're to reach our community through relationships. That we want you as the way that you live your life, to live out the mission of Christ where you work, where you live, where you play, and to do that as a way of getting the message out. One of the things that we do to kind of equip you, and you may have noticed this or may not have, but in the seat back in front of you, we have these little invitation cards. And it's just, I, you know, carry two or three of these in my wallet all the time. You can grab the two or three that are in front of you, put them in your wallet or your purse, um, But what that allows you to do is when you meet somebody, you have a conversation, a spiritual conversation, you just give them that as an invitation card. So I encourage you to be on mission for what God has for you. The second week we talked about worship and the value and importance of gathering together for worship. And that worship reminds us of who God is. And then when we talk about worship, it's not so much that we we come to get, although we do come to receive, but we also come to give. We come to give our praise back to God. We come to encourage and and share with one another. We come to be together. And so it's this idea of the value of corporate worship being together, a blessing to God and a blessing to others. And then last week we talked about discipleship that grows me. And I was so encouraged uh, after both services last week. Kim Nelson, our connections director, and I were at the little kiosk out there, and we had these books called My First 30 Quiet Times. And so I had a stack probably this big, uh, and after the first service, I ran out of them. So I had to go back to our shelves, get some more. After the second service, I ran out of them again, had to go back and restock, and then still gave some more away. And it tells me that we as a church are hungry to be in God's word. And that thrills me because that is part of the discipleship process. We also, at our little kiosk out there, we were handing out Ridge Group flyers with the names and places and times that we have, men's groups, women's groups, home groups, celebrate recovery, all of those groups. And we had lots of people take those flyers, probably 20 or 25 people. And I want to encourage you, if you took one of those little flyers, one of those information sheets last week, take the next step find a group, call leader, check it out, see, does this work for me? Try a couple of them, that's totally fine. But community, you can't do life alone. That's a big part of who we are at River Ridge Church. And really, that's, that's the way we express it at River Ridge, but community is really God's design of the, how we live life with one another. And then I also talked about an serving and how that's a part of discipleship and shared some needs about uh, preschool and a couple of elementary positions that we're looking to fill. And I want to say, if you felt the Lord prompting you, last week, in any of those ways, to serve, to get in a group, to begin to seek Him on a daily basis, listen to that prompting. Don't ignore that, but take that next step, even if it's a risk, even if it's putting you out of your comfort zone. And uh, one kind of wrapping up this introduction part that I would say to you, this series of church shopping, it's been four weeks long. This is not an exhaustive list or, of what it is that the church is too bad. It's a, a fairly short list. And something that you may want to toss around in your Ridge group, your men's group, your home group, whatever it is, is to ask the question of, if we were to add a couple more series to this, a couple more sermons, if we were to add a fifth one or a sixth one or a seventh one or two or three more, what would you say is an essential of what the church is to be about? What would you say? We we should add one. If we added one, what would that be? And just toss that around in your group because I think that would be a really stimulating conversation to talk about what is the church to be about. So, Let's pray, and uh, when then we're get into teaching that changes me. Helen, Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you uh, just for the awesome worship to be in your presence, and uh, that we get to learn from you this morning. And I pray, God, that you would open up our ears, that we would hear from you, and that we would take what we learned this morning and apply it to our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The title this morning is Teaching That Changes Me. And I want you to think for a second, what are sort of other titles that we could have put there that are sort of similar? One of the things I thought is we could have put Preaching That Changes Me, Preaching like I and apostrophe, but that's not really my style. You know, we can, oh, preaching that changes me. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Well, maybe I should try that. That's sort of, re- <laughs> sort of rewarding. All right. All right. Give me a hanky. Not my style. That's other people's style. And that's great. Um, but you know, we think about what is it that teaching that changes me What is what you know what is this about this kind of thirty minutes that we spend together and uh, when I first started giving sermons, I was at Chestnut Ridge Church in uh, Morgantown, and uh, I gave a sermon one time and it was one of the, one of the first sermons that I gave, and I can remember sitting there or I, w- I was standing and you know one of the things that I know just so you're all aware, is like I look at people's faces, I look what they're doing, and and I kind of see are people engaged, are people not engaged? I can see if you're on your phone or not. I can't tell if you're doing Facebook, Instagram, or typing in the the Riverage app, so you're safe with that, but you know, I kind of observe people as I give a message. So I'm giving this message at Chestnut Ridge, and there's a guy kind of maybe three rows back, just off center, and he is nodding along with the sermon. Like he is Fully engaged. I mean, just his body language, and I'm kind of nodding bigger, just like, you know, just this little sort of like up and down thing. I mean, this dude is so engaged. And so when I look over here and these people are bored and those people are on there, you know, not paying attention, then I look back at this guy, I'm like, I'm doing a great sermon here. And I'm, I mean, I'm really feeding off this guy's nodding. And so, you know, I finished the sermon, said a man, feeling really good about at least this one guy got something out of it. And so I walk into the lobby. Uh, and this guy is walking by, and he's still nodding. (laughs) And I realize that he has a tick or something that he's always nodding. I'm like, man, I thought my sermon was really good for him, but it was just, it wasn't, you know. So, you know, when I think about a sermon, you know, teaching that, I'm I'm thinking like, I want to make sure that people are engaged, because I love how engaged I thought that guy was. But as you think about Teaching, as you think about, especially the sermon part of a Sunday morning, what is it that you're looking for? You know, it might be you say, I'm looking for teaching that makes me feel good. And I get this comment from time to time, fairly frequently, I like River Ridge because when I leave, I feel good about who I am. But the problem is that while feeling good is a great end result, that's not the purpose that Jesus has teaching as a part of the church. You know, the flip side of makes me feel good would be teaching that challenges me. You know, and, and, and I like to challenge people on a Sunday morning. And, you know, and I'll say, hey, you know, read your Bible. We'll talk about giving. We'll talk about, you know, sharing the gospel. And I could say, you know, you need to share the gospel this many times in a week. You need to pray for this many minutes a day. You need to give this amount of money. You need to do this. And, and I could challenge that. But pretty soon, cha- if it's only just challenge, 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 then the the message, the teaching kind of devolves into teaching that guilts me instead of teaching that changes me. You know, the other thing that we could talk about, it could be teaching that comforts me. Because every week, somebody is walking in here and you've had a rough week. Every week, somebody is walking in here and you need the comfort of God. And we say, teaching that comforts me, that's the goal. But again, that's not... What Jesus said teaching is to be about. Or how about this? Teaching that makes me laugh, right? Everybody loves to laugh. You guys laugh. When you laugh, I feel better about myself. I could be, hey, that's the goal, teaching that makes me laugh. But again, that's not the goal. Jesus had a different goal in mind. Or how about this one? Teaching that educates me. And that's sometimes what we're looking for. Say, I want to learn something. I want to be informed. I want to learn something new. I want to get knowledge. And that's good, and that's a part of hearing a sermon. But if knowledge is the end game, then we're missing what Jesus said teaching is about. That teaching is about life change. Teaching that changes me. And so we're going to talk about, I want to give you a phrase here, and it's this is teaching that changes me must be biblically accurate and practically applied. Teaching that changes me must be biblically accurate and practically applied. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different sets of verses this morning, one that has to do with biblically accurate and one that has to do with practically applied. And we're going to see how these two things fit together for teaching that changes us. So turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 14. We're going to cover about four verses here. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the book of 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy are written by Paul, and they're written to Timothy. So, Paul is basically training Timothy on how to be a leader in the church. And so, he kind of starts a little bit with his history, and he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, right? And what's interesting about uh, Timothy, if you read uh, the first part of 2 Timothy, is that Timothy was raised by his mom spiritually, And I just always find that fascinating and encouraging. His his mom's name was Eunice, and it talks about her just real briefly. But she was the one who taught him about faith. And, you know, you may be here this morning, and you're a mom or you're a dad, and you feel like you're doing it alone. You feel like you're trying to raise your kids spiritually all by yourself. And I want to encourage you to say you can do it. Eunice did it. You can do it. You can pour into your child, and they can turn out to be a spiritual giant in the same way that Timothy was. But he says in verse 15, he says, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, Je- in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is the, the scriptures are reliable, and, and when he talks about sacred scriptures, most likely he's referring to the Old Testament, saying the Old Testament shows you points to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is able to give you salvation. That's the foundation of what the scriptures point to, the salvation that we have in Christ. Then it continues on, continues writing in verse 16. It writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be uh, may be equipped, me, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul, in writing this, he says all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture is inspired. And what he's doing here, and he, as he writes this, is he's saying both the Old and the New Testament, the New Testament scriptures that were in the process of being write, written. He's saying those are inspired by God. So when we read the words of Scripture, we're not reading Paul's opinion. We're not reading Matthew's opinion. We're not reading John's opinion or James's opinion or Peter's opinion or Moses' opinion or David's opinion. We are reading what it was that God wanted them to write down. Now, it wasn't like they took dictation, but what it was is that God carried them along and they wrote sort of in their own voice with their own verbiage, but it was God breathed. What they wrote was what God wanted. Here's how the kind of the process of inspiration is explained in 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter states it this way It says, But no, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it says that the Holy Spirit carried them along and instructed them on what to write, on what to include in the letters that they wrote, in the Gospels, in the narratives about Jesus' life, and so on. And here's why this is important when we say, in terms of this phrase of teaching that changes me, must be biblically accurate. Because any time that I open up the Scriptures on a Sunday morning, I always need to have the goal of being accurate and faithful to what God's Word teaches And I want to do that. And I would go so far as to say this. If on a Sunday morning you ever hear me say something that is not biblical, something that they wrote that I take out of context, that I misuse, I want you to tell me because I want to be faithful to the Scriptures. Write it on a connect card. Write your name down. Don't do it anonymously because anonymous tariff cards get uh, put in the shredder before I ever see them. Um, But if you want to communicate that to me, say, I think you missed it here. I think you missed it there. I think you ripped this out of context. I want to know that because every week that I stand up here, I want to have confidence that I am teaching God's word accurately. And I say that because I want when you hear God's words taught by me or taught by somebody else here at River Church, I want you to have confidence that this is God's word that we're teaching and not our opinions. Now, I'll add explanations, I'll add illustrations, I'll add ideas of application, all that kind of stuff. But what comes from here needs to be based on God's word and not Matt's opinion. And I would go so far also to say this, is when you have your own time with God, when you have a quiet time, a devotional, when you read the Bible and write about it or pray on it, however you would say that, you want to make sure that you're looking at this, And saying, this is God's word, and I want to take all of it as truth. Because what happens is when we don't do that, then we say, well, I like what Paul said here, I'm good with that. But over here, I don't really like what he said, so I'm not going to follow that. You know, one of the things that Thomas Jefferson is somewhat famous for is the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And what he did is he didn't like parts of Scripture, and so he cut them out of his Bible. And he essentially cut and pasted a Bible that he believed in. Right, And the problem with that is that is now Thomas Jefferson saying this is God's word opposed to God saying this is God's word. It really became Thomas Jefferson's word and not God's word. And I challenge you with that because as you read the Bible, we don't want to stand in authority over the Bible. We want to stand with the Bible that we are under the authority of what God says through God's word. That way we don't pick and choose of what we want to follow and what we don't want to follow. So, that's what biblically accurate is the first part of that. Now, we're going to talk about practically applied. And if you would turn over to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, it says this, and we're going to be uh, starting at verse 22 and read down through 25 in a couple of minutes. But it says this, James writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, he says here that the most important thing, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word. He's saying if we are hearers of the Word only, we are deceiving ourselves. Why does he say that? Here's why he says that. It's because it's this idea that we buy into something or we're deceived into thinking that if I just go to church, I get points for that. If I just read the Bible, well, I get points for that. That's that's what God wants. Just read your Bible. Just go to church. But we're missing the point. Saying, we don't just want to hear God's word. We want to do God's word. But it's easy to fall into this deception of, hey, showed up for church. Check that box off. Hey, open the Bible. Read a passage. I read a chapter. I read two chapters. I read a whole book today. But what he's saying is, if we buy into that, we're being deceived because all we're doing is hearing God's Word when it says what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to do God's Word. I want to introduce you to um, a new friend of mine. This is Harold. There we go. And uh, so, Harold is Lori uh, Holbert's uh, dog, their family dog. And um, I met Harold this week. And uh, Harold came to our staff meeting because apparently Harold had to get shots because Harold's like, I don't know, 14 years old, like 125 in human years, something like that. So, but Harold was getting shots and uh, and you know, she said, can I bring him? I said, as long as he doesn't shed, that's fine. So, Harold showed up. And if you notice Harold, he's wearing glasses, but I, I, I think that's pretend. I don't think he actually wears glasses most of the time. But you notice that Harold has a diaper on. That's what that thing around his waist is, that Harold has a diaper on. And so Harold, during our staff meeting, sat very calmly in Lori's lap and was petted and all that and didn't misbehave and whatnot. And then after staff meeting, Lori puts Harold down on the ground. And Harold walks over, and I'm sitting on a chair and there's a little ottoman in front of me, a little square ottoman, and Harold walks over and lifts his leg to go to the bathroom. But Harold's wearing a diaper and nothing came out. But Harold thought he was doing his business and marking that that ottoman was his and not mine. And then, so Harold puts his leg down, walks like, you know, a half a step. And then Harold did what dogs do when you see them when they go to the bathroom outside. It, he, he did that little scuffing thing where they kick grass on wherever they've just done their business. And so he's, he's, he kicks nothing on this ottoman <laughs> behind him. And it was, it was just the funniest thing because Harold thought that he was marking his territory, his ottoman, which was my ottoman, right? Harold was deceived. Harold thought that he was doing something, but he wasn't. And so the application, what I want to see here is as cute as Harold is, is don't be a Harold, okay? That's, that's the, hashtag don't be a Harold don't be deceived into thinking that, hey, I read God's Word, I heard a sermon, and that's all I need to do. That what Paul says is, do not be doers of the Word, excuse me, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Then he continues on. And and by the way, this is my opinion, this is not the authority of Scripture, but I think if Paul had known about Harold, he would have used Harold instead of this next illustration. <laughs> but All right, it says this. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face, at his natural face, in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, All of us look in the mirror from time to time. You know, I look in the mirror in the mornings. I don't look to fix my hair because my hair always looks perfect unless it's slightly long and then I just shave it again. But, you know, we all look in the mirror and we're looking for different stuff. So when I look in the mirror, usually I'm looking at when I've shaved. I want to say, okay, do I have any shaving cream left on my face? Do I need to wipe that off? Or do I have a patch that I shaved under my chin that I missed so I need to reshave that? But I look at that in the mirror and then I react. I do something. And so you look in the mirror and you fix your hair or fix your makeup or brush your hair or wipe something off your face, but you look in the mirror and you take an action. It would be silly for me to look in the mirror and go, oh, I've got some shaving cream right there on my ear, and then walk away and do nothing about it. I look in the mirror. Why? So that I can change the wrong appearance in my face. And what Paul is saying here is the same thing. He's saying, That you look in the mirror and then you make changes. Why would you look in the mirror and forget what you saw and not make any changes? That we look into God's word for the express purpose of saying, how can I change and adjust my life so that it aligns with God's word, with how God says to live the Christian life? In this passage also, it uses this word intensely. Intensely. It says, look intensely, or look intently in your version, perhaps, look intently into the Word of God. Now, when we think about mirrors, you know, we think about all kinds of different mirrors. I was in Kenya uh, over the Christmas break and, uh, We had there were six or nine of us living together, six girls and three guys uh, in this kind of couple in this place, and the mirror was not really accessible all the time. And so the women set up an iPhone to use as a mirror. And I thought, man, that's brilliant. And I was like, that's amazing. Like we do that all the time. Does anybody use an iPhone as a mirror? Anybody? A couple of you. Okay, no men are admitting to that. I see. That's good. Um, But you know, when you think of looking in the mirror, maybe you think of an iPhone, but most likely you think of a glass type of mirror that sits in your bathroom, sits in your bedroom, and you look into that. That's our vision. Whoever when we look into the mirror and we picture this first, but when James wrote that, they didn't have glass mirrors. That didn't come around until later, that a mirror for them, most, for most of them, was a piece of tin or metal that was shiny, and they would polish it really good, polish, 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 and then they could look at themselves in this mirror. But each time that he uses this word look, it's with the word intently. The word is intently look because they couldn't just glance at it like we can glance in the mirror. They really had to study the mirror in order to see the imperfections in their face or whatever they were trying to adjust. And the same is true when we look into God's Word. that We need to have an intently part of reading and hearing from God. That when we come on a Sunday morning, we want to be attentive to what God says. When we look and read the Bible on our own, we want to be intensive about what we learn. We can't just say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible and open up the Bible and stick a finger down and just whatever comes up. Okay, that was good, and then we go away. That there's a read, look intently into the Word of God. Now, as we looked at this, we, we've skipped the why question. The why question is why do this? Why, you know, listen to the sermon, why read the Bible, why have life changed? What's the benefit of that? Why would we want to do that? James addresses that in verse 25. And he says this. He says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. In his doing, So it says he looks into the perfect law and he calls it the law of liberty. Or your version may be the law that gives freedom. And yet when you read the Bible, there are all kinds of things in the Bible that we really like. You know, there's, there's encouraging stories. There's words of comfort. There's stories about God's people and their c- courage or their um, being heroes. There's a story about God's faithfulness. There's a lot of those types of things. But the reality is that there's also parts of the Bible that are what we would call the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't lie, don't murder, don't lust, don't gossip, don't be sexually immoral, don't be greedy, don't. And there's a lot of don't statements in the Bible. And the question that I challenge you with this morning is when you come across a don't statement, do you feel like that gives you freedom Or do you feel like that restricts your freedom? When God says don't do that, do you feel like your freedom is being restricted? Or do you feel like your freedom is being given to you? Because the way that James writes it here is that when we don't do something because God says don't do it, it's actually freeing for us because when we don't do something, that means we are doing life the way that God wanted us to live, the way that God wants us to live. And then the end of the same verse says, because he will be blessed in doing this. That when we have the freedom to live as God wants us to live, that life lived that way is a blessing to us. And, you know, for a lot of my Christian life, the early part of my Christian life, I didn't have that view. I thought that what God said was restricting my freedom. And I was honestly a lot less inclined to read the Bible because then I might read the Bible and find out something that I was supposed to do or not supposed to do and have to stop that and that would take away from my freedom. But I had sort of an aha moment about five or six years into being a Christian where I realized that everything in God's word is to give me freedom to live in Christ. Everything in God's word is designed to be a blessing to how I live my life. And then from that point on, I went after God's word voraciously. I went after it reading saying, The more I learn, the more I can apply, the more freedom, the more blessing I get in my life. And so I would ask you that question. Do you believe that living by God's Word gives you freedom, or does it restrict who you are? Here's the overall application. It's this. Come prepared to hear, leave prepared to do. Come prepared to hear, leave prepared to do. As you come each week, come on a Sunday morning and also come to your own personal time with God with a heart that says, I want to hear from God. And it's really fascinating to me as I have conversations with you all after church and so forth about what God's. you know, sometimes God will speak to you and say, man, God spoke to me through this dog named Harold today. That was the most, you know, that's what you're going to remember. In, don't be a Harold. Other times people will say, man, this illustration really spoke to me. And sometimes people will say to me, I got this out of your sermon. You know, I need to be baptized. And I'm like, I didn't talk about baptism or water or anything. And that was the, you know, that's what you got out of it. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. When you come prepared, God will speak to you. And then we leave with application. We leave saying, this is what God wants me to do. It might be a new attitude. It might be an action to take, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to God, a new way of relating to people or an adjusted way, but we come prepared to hear, and we leave prepared to do. So here's what I want you to do this morning. Is My guess is that every person here has been prompted by God at some point in your life, maybe this morning, maybe this week, maybe in recent past, past to do something. God says, I want you to do this, and for whatever reason, we haven't done it. Maybe we said, I don't want to do that, God. Maybe we haven't applied it because we've forgotten about it. Maybe it's been too hard or out of our comfort zone. We've rationalized it or whatever it is. But I want you this morning to whatever thing that is in your brain that God has put there, to make that commitment this morning to say, I'm going to apply what I have previously learned. I'm going to stop saying no to God. I'm going to apply what God has told me in the past. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to look into your word and learn from you and that we get to apply your word. God, help us to apply your word because when we do so, we have freedom in you and when we do so, we live a blessed life. Help us, give us the strength and courage to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.